Oh, it's a gorgeous day. Yep, certainly is. Yep, terrific day for a drive. Yeah, it's beautiful country out here. A frog and a bear seeing America. push-ups, 199 push-ups, 200 push-ups. Ah, done. Oh, hi. I didn't see you there. It's me, Doug. I was just doing a few push-ups before the episode. You know, I love fitness and I love doing 200 push-ups in one set, but if there's anything I love more than doing 200 push-ups in one set before the episode, it would be if you were to go and leave a five-star rating for this podcast on your podcast app. Or if you went and left a nice review and said something like, I really like this podcast, it sure is swell. That would be amazing. Well, anyway, I hope you guys enjoyed the episode. Bye. Recording in progress. My guest today is Jack Moody. Jack is a novelist and short story writer from wherever he happens to be at the time. He is the author of the novel Crooked Smile and the short story collection Dancing to Broken Records, as well as a former staff writer for the literary magazine and podcast Brick Moon Fiction. His work has appeared in multiple publications, including Expat Press, Misery Tourism, Maudlin House, Punk Noir. Man, I could go on and on and on and on. But before I do that, I just read Jack's book, Crooked Smile, and I'd like to just take a moment to read a little brief excerpt from the back of this book to give you guys an idea of the book I read before I talked to Jack. Henry Gallagher is going to die. His liver is failing, and with each drink, his chances of living past age 30 crumble around him. Over a chronic two-year blur, he stumbles through inebriated nihilism, strengthened with each self-destructive act, reveling in an unending parade of violence, blackouts, half-hearted AA meetings, psych ward stints, dangerous sexual encounters, suicidal behavior, and shattered relationship relationships. <laughs> so I was reading that a little too... Uh, I had too much brightness in my voice. Let's yeah, that tone it I'm going to tone it down. Two events <laughs> force Henry to look inward and face the disturbing truths left to foster for so many years. Drenched in booze, but always staring up at him from the bottom of a whiskey bottle. During his darkest hour, he receives an offer that threatens to change the trajectory of his life forever. <laughs> and a mental diagnosis that in Henry's mind makes him more monster than man. What's up, Jack? Boom. Hey, how you doing? Sorry, man. I warned you I was going to be talking for a minute, but I feel like I really was talking for a while. No, you take the floor. <laughs> uh, well, thank you for being here today. Thank you for sending me that book in the mail. And thank you. I really appreciate the uh, the personalized personalized. Yeah, uh, uh, you signed it for me. Oh yeah, what did I write? <laughs> you wrote, you wrote, I got it right here. I'll go look. I wrote something nice in here. To Doug, a man of the people. Jack. Oh yeah, that's yeah, that's huge. Hey, man, that that's makes me feel that makes me feel great, dude. Got you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, man, let's just uh, let's get this podcast started, dude. Yeah, let's do it. You know. This is the thing I was kind of wondering when I was, you know, reading your book and there's a lot of alcoholism in here and a lot of like talking about, you know, binge drinking, hard drinking. But do you think that even when writing or talking about hard drinking in a negative light, it's still difficult not to romanticize it to a certain extent? Oof, yeah. That was it's a super hard line to to walk across and I was very aware of it as I was writing it I really did my best to not because you can go one way and super you know over romanticize it 
and make it seem glamorous or sexy. But then you can go the other way and just make it sound like you're on a fucking soapbox, like, you know, yeah, like some teetotaler, you know, shitting yeah. on people who drink. So it, it's a hard, I just wanted to tell my story and just be honest about it. And just from my perspective and not inject any kind of opinions one way or the other about it, you know, because I, I don't about drinking. It's like, I don't I don't have any strong feelings about it other than for myself. All I know is that I shouldn't drink. You know, that's it. I think drinking's sick. I think it's awesome. It just <laughs> doesn't work for me, you know. <laughs> yeah. No, I totally I totally get that, dude. But I was yeah, just thinking you know, like, you know, cuz this book clearly doesn't uh it doesn't portray drinking as a as a positive, you know, and like Henry or whatever is uh you know, killing himself. He's just pour, pouring liquor on an already bad problem and making the problem worse. But there is, I can't help but have a moments in the book where I'm like, man, this makes me want to go get a beer <laughs> or like, it makes, you know, <laughs> well, I mean, that's real. Like it's, it, yeah. it's also fun. Like it's, it's why people like drinking, you know, and why it's hard to quit for people. Like no matter how fucked up it can get. Oh yeah. Am I allowed to swear on this thing? Uh, yeah. I mean, you can say what you want to sick all right good just wanted to make sure <laughs> um but that's why it can be hard for people because a lot of the time it is it's really fun you get really cool stories you meet a lot of cool people yeah and it's not all just misery and it's not all just uh you know great high-flying times it's just it's like any other you know human experience it's got highs and lows and i just wanted to tell both sides of it you know just talk about the experience I think you had a, a part where he got fired from his job for whatever reason, you know. Uh, but I guess uh, he's like he's dating one of his coworkers, and she's like, hey, "You know, don't go drink. This is not a, a time to go drink." And he's like, "This is exactly when it's time to go drink." He's like, "I just got fired from my job for you know, <laughs> like, and I but I like you know I couldn't help but agree. I was like, that is when you go drink. Like, you don't have to go to work." like yeah what else you get it doesn't even matter if you're hung over the next day you don't have to be at work tomorrow either because you don't have a job anymore but i mean yeah i guess i i, I have a lot of toxic trait shit so i should you know of course like maybe there's too much of me like rationalizing some of this guy's behavior you know well i think that's part of it i mean it's it's you know it's it's relatable to different people you know, to varying levels because it, it, I just tried to be as honest as possible. I say this all the time. It's kind of my whole thing. I just, especially with that book specifically with Kirk's smile, I just wanted to just lay it all out and be as honest as possible because the more honest you are, the better people are going to relate to it, you know, because we all share these similarities to some extent, yeah. or you can see these experiences and these reactions and, see those same things in yourself maybe for with different experiences but like it's it's relatable you know it's a human thing this is uh loosely based on your life right yeah 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 and uh, i guess you were publishing parts of this uh before the before you published the novel where you, you, you had had you not published some of this in magazines or was i wrong about that um from this book yeah i think a couple chapters had come out in different magazines while i was still writing it because um yeah i mean this i was writing this book over the course of like three years yeah and especially towards the beginning i didn't even think it was going to be a novel i thought i was just kind of you know writing stories down and just kind of wanted some to get out there and they ended up in play i think a couple of the chapters ended up in horsley's trash magazine shout out to horsley's trash um and i uh, yeah i'm sure a couple others but yeah it's been a long time now i started writing that thing in 2017 well, I'll tell you what, man, I hate to do this to you, but I'm gonna have to ask you a really fucking tough question, dude. And that's this. So what's wrong with getting drunk at an Applebee's, man? <laughs> Bro, fuck Applebee's. Oh, my God. I have dude. had, a, you know, I, <laughs> let me, let me. OK, I'm, you're going to get you're going to get to say what you have to say. But let me no. Tell before you, tell before you start, me. I had such a pleasant experience getting drunk at an Applebee's. I think I might have been in Maryland or Virginia. I can't remember which one. I was living in DC and I would always get those two states mixed up because they're both very close by. Yeah. And I don't and I was just in some town and they didn't have like a bar. It was like it was some kind of weird town where they didn't have a bar. 
And I was like, and so we were like, oh, at Applebee's, those have a bar. We went in there and man, we just had just just a great afternoon, evening, met a ton of nice folks from the from the Baltimore, Maryland, or I mean, I don't know, or somewhere Virginia area. I don't know where they were. Point is, <laughs> point is, man, when you were uh you have a a very strongly written opinion <laughs> about getting drunk at Applebee's in here. And I dare say you're against it. <laughs> I just, I had never been to one of those kind of places before, like the super big chain, like family restaurant places. And it was just like, it's just total like sensory overload. That's, that was my issue with it. It was so much, it's all these TVs on blaring all this shit. Yeah. And all these people and these little, I, I just, I hate kids. There are all these kids running around and screaming. And it's like, I just, I just wanted to get drunk. Just leave me be. And like, that's my, that was my temple was just like a shitty dive bar at two in the afternoon. And it's me and like two, you know, 80 year old dudes talking about Vietnam or something. And it's like, that's, yeah. that's my place. And that, this was like the opposite of it. It was so like, like just, like good old American just <laughs> capitalism, commercialism. And I just, and I just ended up going on a rant about it. And, uh, well, and I guess, you know what? I, I haven't, I haven't been to one in a long time. There were some things you were, you were talking about in there. I didn't know that was, uh, the case. They said they, they've got, did they have like iPads in the fucking yeah. tables now. Oh, I yeah, didn't know that. So it's, it, when I got drunk at an Applebee's, this was many years ago. So they didn't they hadn't added in like the like the iPad tables yet. The tables, yeah. So that's like so what you were saying. Like, so you actually you can go in there and you can order without having to like interact with the server. Is that what that's yeah. for? Yeah, there was yeah. an iPad and you go in and you can like have your you can like buy games for your kid to play and you can just order everything through the iPad. And it just felt like so just like just decline of an empire <laughs> just dystopian yeah that is dystopian all right <laughs> well i mean i'm not going to sit here and state my reputation on defending applebee's because i don't owe them anything this, the, <laughs> my experience was very different it, I, honestly the applebee's i went to had a very like like cheers vibe to That's it cool. <laughs> also we weren't at the bar we were like at a booth like in a table i'm sure at the yeah. bar it's a little you know closer and people are just kind of kicking it and talking yeah, and I guess I also I guess I have I used to work at a sports bar, and it's exactly like you know there was a TV everywhere. There was like you know a couple TVs that were like the size of like you know a, a wall almost, and then yeah. and then multiple other flat screens just in, on every surface that they could put one. And I kind of like this for a job, especially for I've kind of like uh, retired from working in bars, but back when I worked in bars a lot, I kind of liked that because it made customers not talk to me. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, I so get that. Like, you know, as long as everybody, as long as everybody had their drinks or whatever it was they wanted, their you know their chicken wings and their fucking nachos and shit, then they would just stare at a television. And it was like it's like we're saying with the with the with the getting the games for the babies. You know, yeah. they don't they don't cry because they have something distracting them, and so a sports bar is just like a way to keep adult babies happy. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great point, actually. Yeah, that's that's the whole thing. Like, why I could never be a bartender because I just like, I, I wouldn't want to have to interact with people like me, <laughs> you know, just yeah. having all these conversations all the time. These bartenders like turn into fucking therapists for these guys. And I just like, I don't want to have a conversation with you. <laughs> <laughs> just watch the baseball. Look over there. Look at the pretty screen. <laughs> I, uh, I lose patience with drunks when I am drinking. Yeah. Like, me too. let alone like, I'm at work, <laughs> but uh, moving on, on just a little bit here, I, there's something that really stood out to me. And I, I got to bring it up, man. It's uh, so in this book, so, you know, I'll just keep saying Henry, even though we said this is kind of like, you know, this is based on your life, but yeah, Henry. Uh, the story is of uh, 24, 24 year old Henry Gallagher. And I think that's important because 24 is the unique age where uh, someone can be, old enough to have an extremely high tolerance to alcohol, but still young enough to be able to be, you know, functional with severe yeah. alcoholism. Yeah. Specifically, I mean, hangovers that are completely debilitating. You know, the older you get, the more like that 
you can't drink like that and then get up in the morning. You just, you know, yeah. you can't open your eyes. Uh, what do you think about that? That was a big part of it. It was like, and and yeah, it really started hitting me. Not until I was like 26, I think, when I was like, oh, I feel older now. Because, yeah, then, I mean, I'd be drinking, you know, a, f- a fifth of whiskey a night and then down like a bottle or two of wine. And I just, you know, I'd feel sick in the morning, but I was so used to it. Yeah. And I was just like, oh, this is just how you feel. And then you'll feel better when you get a couple of drinks in you and, and you still function, you still go to work. And so it kind of uh, it, it doesn't feel as debilitating as it actually is because you are. Yeah, you're still functioning. So it's like, you know, I still got a while I can. It's not as big of a problem as it is um, because outwardly I'm still able to to do the things I need to do. And it wasn't until a couple years later that my liver really started to like start, you know, screaming at me being like, yo, (laughs) (laughs) we're pissed that I was like, oh, okay, this is, this is what they talk about. You know, the the damage has been done, but now it's like finally catching up to me. I just, I was young enough that I was able to shake it off at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was, I was catching a lot of the in the book because I was thinking I was like, God, man, I'll never be able to do this. But then I was like, oh, well, I'm also not 24. And yeah. that's, you know, that's my recollection of being like 21, 22, 23, 24, all those years in, in that range where I could do pretty much anything. Like I could go out with my friends, like party all night, you know, drink as much as I possibly, you know, drink, drink till I throw up, you know, yeah. wake up the next day. I would feel bad for until I would like, until I drink a glass of water and then typically would start feeling better. And then, you know, within 30 minutes of being awake, I was completely able to go like skateboarding in like the middle of the summer in the blazing hot sun or go to work or anything, but that's youth, man. (laughs) Yeah. Everybody who's listening, you, you hold on to that youth because it will not stay. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and should I, I do hold on to youth because I I still skateboard, man. And the last time I went skating with a hangover, I was like, this is fucking miserable. It was this summer too. This is, you know, with this climate change summer happening, it was like a hundred degrees with like a, you know, 200% humidity. Oh, and, fuck. but I had, you know, but I, you know, gave him my word that I'd be there, that I would skate. And I was like, God damn it. There's, I, I feel like, like so, that's such a shitty way to be to ever to have a hangover. And that's your excuse for not doing something. I feel like whenever possible to don't do that. That's <laughs> you know, it's just, yeah, it's just kind of pathetic. So yeah, and you can't get sympathy for that. It's like, well, you did that shit to yourself. Yeah, no, it gives a fuck. Yeah, it's like I'm like some water, come fucking, you know, come out. (laughs) I was out there. I was just like everything was blinding me. I was like, (laughs) oh, have not since since that day. I have not made a commitment to go skateboarding uh, and then drink the night before. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, that Uh, ended up being a thing because I'm I'm actually I'm coming up on a year sober now on the 23rd but um congratulations man thank you appreciate it um but yeah like towards the end because yeah i got sober when i was 27 and towards the end when like 26 coming up to 27 um it got to the point where because i was drinking every day and i'd been working on this novel and and it got to the point where i'd be so sick all day that i couldn't write anymore you know and this was like this was during the pandemic so like i was out of work we were just sitting at home yeah and and that's when i was like oh this is actually like affecting my ability to do what i love to do so like i had to stop and like cut back and i was like all right so i'm gonna drink every other day and then i'm gonna write on the day that i'm not hung over because i can't write when i'm hung over and then it got to the point where it was like you drink and then you're hungover for two days and yeah. you just still don't get anything done. It's like, all right, well, I got to like, you know, yeah, I got to. And then I ended up going to the doctor and they're like, yeah, all those things you're feeling. Yeah. You're fucking dying. Like stop drinking. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. man. That's miserable. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's not fun. <laughs> you're giving me a hangover right now, man. I know. Aren't I? But I, you know what? This actually, this really uh, brings me to, and I think what I think is an important point because you know, so much, especially here in America, but I know, I mean, Drinking is a, a worldwide thing. That's a that's a human thing, mm-hmm. and every culture has their you know whatever version of what makes drinking cool. But mm-hmm. specifically in American pop culture, that's where I feel like I I see so much shit that I just think it's like outrageous the way they portray it. I guess like what um uh, so here's the thing, 
uh, about alcoholism in pop culture that bothers me. And I'm going to pick on The Wire, uh, for example, like the TV show The Wire. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you saw it. It was, it's a great show. You don't need to have seen it for what I'm about to say to make sense. And, you know, you can draw the same conclusions from a thousand other movies or shows. But it's basically you've got all these cops that get shit face drunk every night and they have sedentary jobs and they eat donuts and takeout. <laughs> and then and then they're all portrayed like specifically McNulty. He's kind of like the main uh, detective in this series as being in great physical condition like mentally sharp able to solve like difficult puzzles because you know they're they're trying to like catch really sophisticated uh drug networks and it's absurd like you know like That's if you not normal if you if you like if you got off work and you started drinking as soon as you got off work and you just got fucking hammered and then the next day you ate donuts for, for breakfast and then your job was to sit and listen to a wiretap all day and then maybe occasionally eat like chinese takeout you would First of all, you wouldn't have any fucking abs. You would... <laughs> <laughs> but secondly, you wouldn't be like having like really clever ideas all the time or, you know, be able to like ch- chase someone through the streets, like sprinting at top speed. You'd be yeah. a mess. So I don't, does that? <laughs> yeah. I've noticed in, in pop culture, it's either like, and depending on what angle they're trying to come at it with, it's either that like you can be, a functional alcoholic to the where it's like it you drink all the time but it has no effect on you whatsoever that's just like one of your you know one of your personality traits or it's that you're such an alcoholic that you're like you know leaving las vegas shit where you're just completely a mess and there's no in between which i think is a lot more realistic it's like you kind of feel like shit you feel sick you can get some stuff done but most of the time you're having trouble with it or whatever and um like what was it uh i think it was like a louis ck bit or something uh he's talking about mad men and oh. how they're like they're always like having cocktails at like two in the afternoon and he's like how the fuck do they get this done i'd be like passed out or like vomiting by four in the afternoon and they're like doing all these <laughs> like advertisement shit and it's like it's it's not but that's just how pop culture is though that's how media portrays it but it's just it's such an unrealistic standard yeah that's a trade <laughs> so yeah i know what you mean <laughs> it, i i mean I, I will let it go soon and i, and I know like, a lot of, like i haven't seen Mad Men, and i'm sure a lot of people haven't seen the wire so i'm not going to just stay on it but i just i, I really want to bring it up dude that like there's no way that and all, all these all the cops in the show they're they're supposed to be you know at least in their 30s some of them in their 40s and it's like there's there's no way you're not going to be at least 50 pounds overweight you know like that's it's... the other thing. <clears throat> yes. <laughs> like these people, they're always in, in all these shows there. Even if they're like, it, it's a point to make the character, you know, they're like this, this, this functional problematic alcoholic or whatever. They're still like svelte and attractive. It's like, yeah. no, you'd be like 30 pounds overweight. You'd be fucking bloated. You'd be red all the time. You'd be just having like, <laughs> like drenched in sweat all the time. Yeah, you'd have, you'd have bloodshot eyes. You would, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, you can like make the case that someone is pulling that off when they're around twenty years old, and then, like, yeah. you know, I have one friend. I, I will say it. He's a, he's a, he's a pretty hard drinker, man. But he's got like like a, a gym etiquette that very few people have. And mm-hmm. I don't. I mean, I don't know how long he's gonna be able to keep that up. But like, he. uh the amount of time he spends in the gym is like more than most people. I mean, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's a daily thing. It's like at least three or four hours in the gym every day. He drinks while he's at the gym, but like, <laughs> you know, even he's like, even he's having a hard time staying in shape now. Like, <laughs> you know, back in the day he used to do that. And I was like, and I was like, Oh, cool, man. You like, you're like really, really ripped for someone for, uh, you know, someone as drunk as you are all the time. <laughs> but you know, it, you know, as, as he ages, like even those three to four hours in the gym every day, it's like, you just can't keep up with the, just the calorie intake of, you know. Yeah. That was the biggest thing. It's like, it's because I, I, I always worked out and then, and there was a period. Yeah. When I like first started really heavily drinking, I had been super skinny my whole life. I gained like 40 pounds so fast and I was so overweight. And uh, the only time that I like stayed skinny 
during that whole period that I was still continuing to drink really heavily. I mean, I was literally like starving myself. I yeah. was like just drinking. Uh, yeah, I've seen, I've seen that too. Yeah. Yeah. I was literally, I mean, I'd be drinking a fifth of whiskey and then eating like a piece of bread with peanut butter and then an orange a day. Yeah. And I was able to stay skinny that way. And it's like, um, yeah, your body just like can't keep up. Either you're going to be overweight because, I mean, yeah, depending on how heavy you drink you are. I mean, I was getting probably like 2,000, 3,000 calories a day just in alcohol. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah, it. that's why it blows my mind that people still have these metabolisms that can. And that's, yeah, that's the other thing. It kills your metabolism. My metabolism is gone now. I killed it. <laughs> alcohol destroy your metabolism. Yes. You heard it here first. If you didn't already know. These these pop culture things that show, you know, alcoholics and you know, really these beautiful, uh, ripped actors, you know, portraying alcoholics, dude. Your the real option is, yeah, like very overweight or very malnourished. Not like yeah. you're not gonna look like a fucking Olympic athlete. Like, <laughs> <laughs> we got to start our own show and just be real about it. Just like <laughs> bloated fat dudes, bloodshot eyes, just just struggling through. Ooh, the that's day. a good name, man. Bloated. Bloated fat dudes, bloodshot eyes, cast. All right, I'll type it down. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Uh, this is going to be a little bit weird, but I'm going to I'm going to forge forward because you know it. what? You had the courage to write this book, man. So I'm going to have the courage to ask you some questions out of the book. Uh, out of all the things that you uh, in in your book that might have triggered some nostalgia from my early twenties, you have a scene where Henry is approached and offered a thousand bucks to do an amateur porn scene. Mm -hmm. And believe it or not, uh, when I was a much younger man, I was propositioned by shady low-level porn producers more than a couple times. Uh, it seemed pretty real in this book. I assumed you lifted this from real life, or yeah, it absolutely did happen. That, I don't know if it's yeah. I guess that's that's one of the joys of being young. <laughs> it's like you know, I don't, I don't miss it, but in a way, I'm kind of like I miss maybe maybe the attention. Yeah, the attention is exciting. And especially when you're that age, you like crave attention a lot yeah. more so because at, at least me, I should only speak for myself. I was a lot less comfortable with myself. So I just, I loved that kind of attention. And well, I want to know, yeah, let's back up. I want to know the story behind this. <laughs> uh, take the this offer. No, I, I never needed money that badly. And, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and I, I knew well enough to know that that was going to, be something that was going to haunt me later turned out that is certainly the case because i have a couple of friends who uh have accepted offers of that nature and regretted it because now you know the people that produce that shit they own that they own that yeah. footage they own they own you and the picture of you or not the picture you know like the the video the media yeah the media the photographs the media all that shit they own that forever and that can and then so that can just be on the internet for the rest of your life yeah, that's terrible. So you just what you gotta hope is that you know that company tanks and it doesn't make its way to Pornhub or something. But <laughs> <laughs> so no, I never said I never said yes. Also, yeah, it's gonna the thing is nobody offered me more than two thousand dollars. You know, and that's come on, man. Come on. I'm <laughs> yeah, I'm not hurting that bad. I'll I'll I can sell something, I'll steal something, it'll be fine. <laughs> I could see, you know, and it's not like I had like some crazy moral code or anything like that or any kind of bullshit like I'm too, that I'm too good for it. I just, you would, you, I think somebody would, would have had to offer me an amount of money that would have really like been life changing. Like I would have been like, what, that much money? I could, <laughs> I could really do something with that, you know, and 2000 bucks. Like, what am I going to do with that, man? Like, <laughs> like I was, I was very, very comfortable being poor too. I enjoyed yeah. it. And all yeah. my friends like to be, you know, we we were all just like young skateboarder people. I always had like roommates. I mm -hmm. could like could get by with a part-time job easy as hell and have almost all my time be free time. Yeah. Like what, what like why do I need to go do some like really shady ass amateur porn for like money I don't need? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. If, if if anything, it would just be for the crazy story. That's it. Because I yeah, I was the same way. I've always just been you know lower class working class and i'm comfortable like that it was never <laughs> never about the money and in the book i think i i i did say that i was down we were like working out the kinks of it before uh yeah he was he was negotiating 
before <laughs> my, my friend came up and we're like, hey, we should leave. I'm like, all right, fine. Is, is a uh, the original offer was like a thousand bucks. He tries to negotiate up to two thousand plus some kind of like absurd, yeah, absurd like thirty three percent. It's like some yeah. kind of royalties, like as though that kind of porn has royalties. Like as, <laughs> as those are the like as though those are the kind of people that would like write up a contract for you. Oh it's yeah, like, no. I, at the time, I was like, oh, this is like this is like Shark Tank. I'm I'm really like working out some deals here. <laughs> it's like it's like, more it's like how a, a way for you to just never be seen again is a lot, <laughs> in a lot of ways. <laughs> well anyway all i want to say is there was a a bit of nostalgia that <laughs> was triggered in that and just yeah i guess maybe a little bit of the whole like ah oh, man i miss being such a you know lean young kind of fresh-faced pretty guy that uh people would say that to nobody says that to, nobody ever fucking asked me to be in porn now <laughs> i mean me neither if that makes you feel better it does make me feel better one misery loves company <laughs> You know, man, uh, I have a question for you. Okay. What percentage of people who think they've hit rock bottom do you think are being naive about how much further down rock bottom really is? That's a good question. Um, my philosophy on it is like, it's it's a perspective thing. There is no real rock bottom. Rock bot- You can always fall deeper. Rock bottom is the moment that you decide to change. It's like, okay, okay, I've had enough. I've hit my limit. Now I need to change. That's your rock bottom, whatever it is, you know, when it could be any kind of trigger. It could be some, you know, it could be a, a DUI or some horrible experience or, you know, your liver's failing, or it could just be like, you know, I've had enough. I think I've taken, I've, I've ran this ride till the wheels came off and I think I gotta, I gotta go call a cab. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. It's, I think that's what it is. It's, it's totally uh, up to the person. I think because you can always every time you hit bottom, something worse can always happen. It's it's a totally subjective thing. And that's why, you know, it always comes down to people. People always say this in recovery. It's like it's up to you. People can tell you how bad you're fucking up as much as they want until you have to change. But you're not going to get sober until you want to get sober. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And there's yeah, I guess there's all these like levels of respect. I mean, there's a, another thing you kind of touched on and not that i've ever done something like this but i can see myself especially a younger me doing something like this which is uh he goes to an aa meeting and like starts hitting on a on a girl there which mm-hmm. is certainly frowned upon yeah. uh, <laughs> yes, it is. i'm also i'm also i'm also assuming that that might be com- coming from a little bit of reality as well right yeah i still have her number <laughs> oh really <laughs> she's a nice lady we went to a couple meetings after that together oh that's nice (laughs) yeah yeah she's a friend okay yeah there's (laughs) um what about so what about the hospital scene man kind of like where it kicks off yeah that's uh that's what started it that was the first well the first chapter the first thing i wrote that's in the novel is the second chapter where he ends up going to the aa meeting um and i wrote that uh just a couple days after I had gotten out of the hospital and I ended up writing the first chapter about going to the mental hospital, like maybe a month afterward, after I had kind of like processed it. But yeah, I just, I had, um, I, I had a, like a really bad, like manic episode, like psychotic episode. I had just, you know, I just broke my brain broke <laughs> and I checked myself in cause I was worried and it had gotten really, really bad. And, um, yeah, it, how it plays out in the chapter is exactly how it played out. They didn't take me at first, and then I ended up staying for a little bit. Oh, so this wasn't like a uh, traditional hospital. No, it was it was like a it was a mental facility. Okay, I, I guess I, I got the I got it wrong in my head. I thought that you had gone to just your basic, uh, just big old hospital that has an ER and all that shit. Yeah, I kind of like, I kind of fudged the details to make like it easier to explain. But oh, yeah, just like, up, yeah, I went to a, it was it was referred to me by my psychiatrist at the time. He was like, you you go here now. <laughs> and you brought uh, a copy of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest just to be sarcastic. I did. I did. <laughs> well, I also wanted to read. It's a great book. But yeah, I, great, I yeah. did bring it with me. Yeah. I love Ken <laughs> Cassie, man. Have you uh, have you ever paid any attention to any of his other like 
any of, of his the exploits of his life outside of his writing oh fuck yeah dude i'm actually my next tattoo that i'm i'm about to be getting is the the further bus on my arm oh fantastic man it. from yeah. uh the electric kool-aid acid test yeah, love that book the whole i love that book man yeah i've actually seen the further bus in person <clears throat> oh really um, it still still exists that's surprising yeah it's gotten like a new paint job um does it run uh i mean it must or maybe they just like tow it out there but i don't really share this information but i'll tell you um i'm from oregon mm -hmm. and ken kesey lived in oregon he went to u of o he had like a farm um or some kind of ranch or something somewhere out in, in Oregon. And his family now owns the further bus. And there's this uh, festival that happens every summer in, in around like Eugene in Oregon uh, called the Oregon country festival. And it's like this big, just hippie festival, bunch of drugs, uh, vendors, music. It's really fun. It's cool. It's like in the forest. And uh I don't know if they still are, but at least a few years in a row, his family would come out there and bring the bus out and they'd like park the bus and they'd have like the, the last time I was there, they had a, like a bluegrass band performing on top of the bus and we all got to see it and take pictures with it. And his son, Zane Kesey was there selling um, like acid blotter sheet art. Oh, that's very and cool. Yeah, so I very got cool. I like met his son and everything. He cracked my back while I was on acid. That's a fun story. Oh, that's very cool, man. Hell yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I'm a, I'm a, yeah, I'm a, enormously a fan of that guy's life. Uh, yeah, his, like, he was such a fucking cool ass character of a person. And I, I'm not, not to go on and on and on. Do you, do you pronounce his last name Kesey? Is that am I saying it wrong? Yeah, it's Ken Kesey. Oh, I've been seeing I've been saying Ken Kesey my entire fucking life, dude. <laughs> oh well dude welcome to a new world man <laughs> ken kesey all right i'm growing no i uh i had i had read it was a gift that someone gave to me and i don't know if you're familiar with this book but it's he he got uh a prison sentence and he got luck lucked out and he was uh sent to a labor camp like an outdoor labor camp instead of uh just in a cell mm -hmm. so which is obviously a little bit better and yeah. i guess i guess that was in oregon doing some kind of like logging yeah. <clears throat> And part of his, you know, it might have just been the rule in general, but I, part of what the thing was is he wasn't allowed to write while he was there. They're like, you're, you're here for a punishment. You can't write. So but you but you could have magazines and I guess he could get his hands on pens, but he just he couldn't have like notebooks and shit yeah. like that. So he wrote the entire he wrote an entire book in there on like magazines, like on Playboy magazines and fucking. Wait, are you talking about like once a great notion? Is that the that name book? of the book? That's uh, the book he wrote about like a logger in in Oregon. Well, I mean, either way, he wrote. This that is whole no. This book is just a, it's just uh, he actually just wrote the story of his experience in the prison oh, okay. camp. Oh, okay, that's so cool. But uh, I got the, the the copy I got it. So I guess they, they were they were able the publishers were able to recreate it in the way that it looked because he was he would sneak it out. So basically, whenever he could have a, a visit, he would like hand over a magazine to like whoever's visitor was. Inside of that magazine would be like a chapter of a book. Oh, and so awesome. it's all a collage at the end. It's like all these torn up magazines and toilet paper and just weird, just any kind of shit he could find to write on. That's and, cool. and he had to like, it was all contraband. So he had to like, you know, hide it in his underwear and like hand yeah. it off to whoever his, you know, his family that came to visit. I don't know. I thought it was very cool. That's <laughs> super cool. I didn't know that. Hold up. It's time for an important announcement. I'm excited to announce the, my views are my own cult. Other podcasts ask their listeners to join their Patreon for things like exclusive content and bonus episodes. Not me, chosen ones. I'm offering membership in a top-of-the-line cult. I know you're thinking, but Doug, aren't cults bad? And the answer is, yes, stupid, shitty, cheap cults are bad. This is a premium, extremely exclusive cult. I will be wearing only the finest silk robes and bejeweled turbans. And I'll be saying all kinds of awesome, mystical shit two hours a day, three days a week. I have a platinum plan for whoever decides to buy me the farm or compound or wherever we're going to live. And memberships go all the way down to the bronze plan, where you just do all the farm work and hand out literature at outlet malls and swap meets. Obviously. I'm going to be very busy on some vision quests. So you guys go ahead and figure out all the financial stuff and legal documents. 
As a matter of fact, if you happen to be a criminal defense lawyer, then you are automatically bumped up to platinum status. I can't wait to tell you guys whatever you want to hear. Go to myviewsaremyown.com to sign up today. And now back to the interview. All right, man, enough of the Ken Kesey hour. Hey, but at least I learned his real name, dude. Gotcha, yeah. <laughs> I learned uh, he wrote a book on fucking toilet paper and Playboys. Yeah. Look at us growing. Well, a lot of people think all he wrote was uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, and that couldn't be further from the truth. Yeah, no, he was he was a lot more prolific than people think. It's just kind of that, I mean, his whole life was so prolific. He just had such a cool, crazy life. <clears throat> like he, he discovered the Grateful Dead. Yeah, hell yeah. yeah. I have a... There was a, a really excellent. I'm gonna I'm gonna stop right after this. But there's a really excellent, uh, and this is this is in a Hunter S. Thompson book I read, and I can't recall the, the title of this, but it's when he brought the uh, the Hell's Angels down to the, to the Merry Pranksters, and yes. they threw this huge festival yes. of of outlaws and like and acid head hippies, yes. and it ended up being one of the most peaceful like uh hell's angel events of all time yeah they they were the ones that introduced hell's angels to acid on that night yeah the great and the the grateful dead i believe played one of their very first shows yeah at that like nobody knew who the grateful dead was jerry garcia was like a teenager yeah (laughs) yeah that's so dope yeah yeah i think it was in his book hell's angels i'm pretty sure that's when he wrote about it that makes sense around that makes sense I've, I've, i've definitely read that book a lot of it gets mixed up in my head because I've just, you know, it's harder to keep track, especially with Hunter S. Thompson. I, I'm certain I've read just about everything he's ever written at this point. So I can't always place where I read one particular thing. But dude, getting back to you, man. So we've fun. No worries. We, I guess, like what we were just talking about a minute ago, we're like we're talking about like rock bottom. And I guess really the next question is like redemption, man. Like, what do you think? Like, it just sounds like i mean just reading this book like so much uh cynicism sarcasm you know nihilism what uh i don't know how to put this like what like you know what brings you around to like the redemption like the i want to live i don't want to be a you know fucked up out of my mind like how do you find that in yourself or do you or do you find it elsewhere do you find it outside of yourself well, I had definitely tried to find it outside of myself a lot of times and it never worked. You know, that's kind of that was the theme of the book as well. And actually, my first book, too, is that I kind of tried to find purpose and meaning outside of myself in, in other women, you know, yeah, like kind of that savior complex shit. Like, oh, you know, you'll I'll attach myself to you and you'll love me. So then maybe because you love me, I'll love myself finally. But it's like it, it it's got to come from yourself. It always does. You always you just have to do the work yourself and find some kind of purpose within yourself. Find something to be proud of yourself for. Find some kind of meaning. And it's like that's like the easiest thing to just say out loud. But that's you know, everybody's got to figure that out to some extent, regardless of, you know, if it's related to any kind of substance abuse issue. Everybody's trying to figure out how to like really love themselves, you know, and that's something that that it will take your whole life trying to figure out that's like the big question is is how do you just fully accept yourself and be comfortable in your own skin and for me it kind of started with with uh you know accepting the shitty parts of me and learning about myself and learning about maybe where those shitty parts come from and then learning to still like accept me even though those are a part of me you know seeing all of it as part of the, you know, what caused growth and what made me, me and, and how it all made it, it all came together to create this, this life I have. And a big part of it was creating art, you know, that was a big purpose and it it gave me meaning and made me feel good about myself. And that was, yeah, that was a huge thing about it is it was like, you know, I've done these shitty things or I've, I've been around these shitty things, but I was able to like kind of create something pretty out of it and try to put something good into the world out of this negative shit. And it it made me proud of myself and it kind of opened up the door a little bit to like respecting myself and then to caring in, about myself and then, you know, to loving myself or whatever, 
<laughs> yeah, well, no, I mean, and it does, I I understand like because you're laughing because you know it does sound cliche when you yeah. say like you know you got you got like a hole you're trying to fill it you know yeah. it doesn't and it doesn't matter how much fucking whiskey you pour in that hole the hole is bottomless you know oh, yeah. or or trying to like make make someone else love you because you don't love yourself then yeah. you know you're kind of just setting them up to be unhappy too but yeah, yeah you're that's why, another life yeah I'm a, I'm a that's I'm a huge huge uh advocate for the journey of self discovery and lifelong man you know because we yeah. change we change all the time and everything changes man mountains change rivers yeah. change you know of course of course we change it's also why i'm a big advocate for uh psychedelics <laughs> yeah man that's a, that was that's a huge <clears throat> key for people too it's kind of i kind of see it as almost like a little shortcut or kind of a it's like a little trigger to open up some different ways of thinking that can then kind of set you on that journey you know i think I'm I'm batshit crazy, so I can't do psychedelics anymore. Or I'll you know, go into the the what's the play <laughs> what's the place in in uh, Get Out? Oh, like when she like when she makes him sink into his own mind. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah I'll go there. So I have to be careful with them because my brain chemistry is a little wonky. But yeah. um, no, I, I, I totally yeah I. But, I, but I, what you're saying, I totally get it. And it is and that it makes it exciting, man. Like seeing like being able to get out of your own perspective and see how everything is in constant flux and constant change and how exciting that is. Like it just it gives you a reason to be like, oh, like I want to see what comes next. You know, like I want to stick around because who knows what's going to happen next. It, it becomes kind of exciting. It, it, it makes life more fun that you don't really know what's going to happen next. And when you start to see in less black and white terms and it's like, Oh, well, this is, you know, this thing is temporary. This thing is also temporary though. And, and, you know, one, one step at a time, one day at a time kind of thing. It just, it makes life a big old adventure. I keep saying cliches, but God damn it. They're cliches for a reason. <laughs> they're cliches because they're, you know, a lot of things become cliches because they are true. Yeah. And I do want to step back one second and say that, yeah, I do carelessly uh, advocate for, uh, psychedelics sometimes when i feel like maybe i should add caveats and be like well you know obviously you shouldn't if you're struggling with mental health and you know oh yeah but, i mean yeah, but, it's but all, also, also i'll tell you the goddamn truth i really think that they should just legalize uh a well, lot yeah. of psychedelics and that should, should be absolutely. the should be the treatment that should instead of all these fucking uh absolutely. drugs that are suppressing what you feel and think how about yeah. something that opens you up to what you feel and think? Because that's, you know, like you said, yeah. the answer is going to be inside you one way or another, you know? Yeah. And if you can do it in like a safe setting and it's, yeah, like, I mean, there's so many uh, papers coming out about about the benefits of of mushrooms and in ketamine for depression and, and PTSD and anxiety. It's something that we should explore. It's really exciting. I mean, I'm I'm pretty sure it got passed in Oregon. I think mushrooms... Yeah, you got I Oregon and medical use in Oregon. I believe or we're on our way to it. I don't I think, think it's it got passed and it's gonna. I don't think it's the entire state of Colorado, but it's one of the cities in Colorado has uh, no plants are illegal. That so, just makes sense. That's that just, just makes fucking sense. You know, and I'll tell you one thing too, man. If you claim to be religious, do you know who made the plants? God made the plants. So <laughs> honestly, you're being sacrilegious by outlawing one of God's creations. That's my Ooh. final word on that. Uh, <laughs> but no, man, and it's to, like what you were saying earlier too, man, it's also just the act of creation. Mm -hmm. Like on the journey of self-discovery, man, there's probably maybe nothing more powerful than the act of creation, you know, art yeah. or music or whatever you may be, you know, writing. Yeah. It's cause it's just, it's about, you know, you want to do something good. It's, it's like the fucking camping rule, you know, like leave it cleaner than, yeah. like leave cleaner than when it came when you were there when you came it's it's the same thing with life you know like just try to put something good into the world and there's so many great avenues to do that and it makes you feel good and it makes you happy and proud of yourself and and creating art is just a very direct way of doing that you know like you're you're literally adding something to the world yeah yeah so that's helped me a lot well jack i got one thing to tell you man hmm. we are getting dangerously close to the lightning round Oh shit. I don't know if you're familiar with the lightning know, round or how it works on this podcast. The lightning round is where I ask you questions. And this is the point. You can't think, man. You can't do this is not cerebral. This is not a thought process thing, man. This is your gut and your heart is gonna have to tell you the answer. And I have a feeling that I might have written a couple here that you're not gonna be familiar with. 
<laughs> so excited. But that's okay because it doesn't I have a feeling you're gonna win. I'll tell you that much. Ooh, I can win it. All right, <clears> now really invest. It's the it's the game part, man. Okay, sick. <laughs> All right. Today's lightning round is a literary edition. So this is all based on literature. <laughs> right on. First one. Uh, I have a feeling you're going to get this one. Who would win in a fight? J.R.R. Tolkien or George R.R. Martin? Tolkien. He yeah. was a war veteran, wasn't he? He'd fuck him up. Yeah, he, man, he's a picky blinder as far as I fucking am fuck concerned. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, all right. Got it. Easy. I was... Now, just recently listened to someone talk about that. You know, he he was one of those. He had this whole thing where he didn't want anyone to like read into his, you know, like his liter or his the Lord of the Rings and all that shit. He didn't mm -hmm. want people like taking, uh, message. You know, getting messages out of it that weren't really oh, there. Or supposedly, like, oh, it's a big metaphor for World War One or whatever. Or, or specifically, and it, yeah, I mean, but it's, even though it like it clearly appears to be in so many ways, like. Like, cause well, you know, yeah. he was there at the Psalm when there's a whole, th you know, like that, that bog that fucking Gollum makes them go through and it's full of dead bodies. Yeah. There was something in, in real life, very much like that in the Psalm. Uh -huh. Like there's all these bodies that were in a bog. And so, and then, yeah, <laughs> but he would prefer that no one ask him if that's where he got the idea. from. <laughs> that's understandable. <laughs> you know, I, I wasn't. In World War One, but I feel like a lot of people that were no way. did not fucking really super like talking about it afterward. Oh yeah, I I I got that vibe. Yeah, I got that vibe too, man. <laughs> <laughs> did you ever read uh, All Quiet on the Western Front? No, I never did. It's written from the perspective of the Germans, so they are they are the aggressors, and they definitely deserve to lose. But still, you're really like it's just the way war is. These are all you know. These are fucking. Just, these are soldiers yeah, these are cannon fodder guys these aren't the fucking yeah. it's not the uh kaiser so you, you really i don't know it's weird in war kind of humanizes the, this you know the group of people that are just seen as like the enemy you know it's just like the infantry is like how different is the infantry on any side in a war like that yeah <clears throat> oh it's sorry moving on <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah yeah it's a fucking already, lightning I'm round dude on. let's do this all right which harry potter house would the sorting hat put you into? All right. God damn it, dude. This pisses me off. I just want to be a fucking Ravenclaw. I just want to be a Ravenclaw. I don't get to be a really Ravenclaw. What is it? Like Pottermore? The where you like, you know, you can go in and, and you get your house sorted and they give you a Patronus. You know how many times I've separately taken that test with different emails because I just want to get Ravenclaw? I never get Ravenclaw. It's always fucking Gryffindor or Slytherin. And I guess like I get it. Fine, I'll be Gryffindor or Slytherin. Well, I, 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 I fucking absolutely refute that. I think that if you say you're Ravenclaw, you're Raven. Like, it's that was the this whole point, is up right? to you. Because yeah. what is this? This is this is like is it, is it an AI? I know. I think I've done this too. <laughs> it's not even an AI, is it? It's just a fucking algorithm. Yeah, <laughs> it's a, it's an algorithm that doesn't learn or develop or advance. It's not an AI. It's not a fucking sorting hat. It's a stupid fucking. Uh, gimmick, man. Fuck that, dude. You're a Ravenclaw. The Ravenclaws are the smart ones, right? Yeah, they're like, yeah, like more analytical. I guess I think like the more creative ones, whatever. Dude, but one of my like, oh my one of my favorite video memes. So like the Ravenclaws are. So, also, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I just this oh no, in I'm, my head. Just, I'm just gonna start babbling about how pissed I am. It's, it's when ahead. like Harry. It's like when Harry first gets to school and. uh the, the there's this little kid he's doing a fucking spell with his magic wand at the at the lunch table during lunch and yeah. he's like he's like it's like something something diddly dumb turn my water into oh, rum. yeah yeah and then harry potter goes what is he trying to do to his cup <laughs> and, then, and then he goes that's why harry's not in ravenclaw because <laughs> the dude literally said turn my water into rum and he's like what's he trying to do <laughs> context clues harry Context clues. All right. This one's going to be motherfucking difficult, dude. We're going into Margaret Atwood territory, my oh, friend. Shit. All right. <clears throat> what is an Oryx and what is a Crake? One more time. What were those words? <laughs> so uh, Oryx and Crake. I will give you hints. They're yes. both animals. Okay. 
All right. Auric. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Answering from the gut, from the heart. Auric. <laughs> it's like a it's like if a, a hippo fucked an elephant. Next. A crake <laughs> is um uh a bird with frog legs. Boom. Done from the heart. <laughs> uh man you got really close on crake wait really <laughs> <laughs> a crake's a bird an oryx is more it's like a it's more like a more like an antelope okay so anyway 50 percent there and you've gotten every other answer right so it is. here we go man this is gonna be pretty fucking like this is this is it to see if you've actually won the lightning round or not all right this is a big deal fortunately it's a completely subjective uh question <laughs> okay <laughs> Which school system would you most like your book to get banned from? Oh. Oh. School system is in as in like Look, it could be like uh like like for for me like uh the school system that I was in was called uh Nashville Metro Schools. Nashville mm -hmm. Metro Nashville Metro Public Schools. So if I so if I was if I had a, written a book and I I wanted it to be banned by them out of like you know to be like haha my own school system banned me that's what i would call that school system but right you mean you're free you're free to get banned from any school system in the world i appreciate that um and maybe every school system in the world i just i just <laughs> dare to dream and i want to get banned in the south it seems like they're banning all the good books yeah so like i want to join the ranks of those ones you know Ooh. i feel like if they try to ban it in the south it's like oh i should probably read that book you know yeah they might even burn your book yeah, that'd be sick. Don't burn like, any other books. You feel free to burn my books. Do like weird Satanist rituals and shit. I, was, I saw a tweet. I thought it was funny as fuck. It said, uh, "It said all of these uh, people burning books when literally every single book that exists is like has a like digital copy that can't be destroyed. It <laughs> just goes to show these motherfuckers don't even know what century we live in." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my favorite thing is that they're like. To burn all these books, you got to buy the books. Yeah. It's You're so just, good. It's great for the authors. Like, <laughs> yeah. Burn all my books. Just, yeah. Sell, just sell it out. Like buy all my stock. Go ahead and burn them. That would be, I oh my God. Them. How amazing would that be to like have just like some Mississippi school district order like all, like you, you basically have to go like into back order and get new copies like printed because they ordered all of your books to burn them. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, that I'd get a plaque for that. That's, yeah. that's an achievement. And then I'd just turn around and donate all the money and just like make it into a library and just put all the banned books back into this one library. Uh, no offense, anyone that lives in Mississippi listens to this podcast, man. But you know, but you know why I made that joke. <laughs> uh, Jack, man, I got one last question to ask you. This is the most important one of all, dude. All right. I'm all right, dude. Where can people find you? Check you out. Uh, find your book, your writing, all this stuff, man. Cool. Yeah. All right. Um, my social media. I got a Twitter and a and an Instagram, and on there I have a link tree that's got like all my books, my short stories, other interviews, everything. So it's just at Jack underscore is underscore Moody, and I got a collection of short stories out, and we've been talking about my debut novel, Crooked Smile, and then on October first. My third book, a novella called The Monotony of Everlasting, is coming out uh, through Anxiety Press. And that'll be in paperback and audiobook. And I'm donating 50% of all my royalties to the Northwest Abortion Access Fund and to Planned Parenthood Oregon. So half the money you spend on the book is going to be going to a cause that you may or may not support. And if you don't support it, don't buy my fucking book anyway. Fuck you. <laughs> Man, we literally just agreed that we want the like the worst school district in Mississippi to buy all your books. Dude. Oh, fuck. And it'll uh, be fan. Oh, and the, oh my no, God. They'll just burn it. But see, this, is, this would be so great too. If they bought all your new book, all your new books, and then we're inadvertently uh, uh, giving money to Planned Parenthood, dude. Yeah. Look at that. <laughs> uh, yeah. I should have kept that under wraps for the Southern people. They wouldn't have known. Uh, don't worry, man. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jack, man, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for being on the on the podcast. Once again, thank you for the, not not just, you know, autographed copy, but for the personalized note, man. That means a lot to me. Of course. And I've got a very, very special place on my bookshelf for it. 
I'm going to put it up there as soon as we're done. Appreciate it. And thank you for reading it, man. I appreciate it a lot and having me on.